This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Christy Landwehr in Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, July 18th, episode 1741. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, Horse World. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? Help do I can. Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this third Tuesday of the month. And for new listeners, what happens here is Jamie, Jen, and I are here Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays every week, usually. We weren't here yesterday, had a day off. But uh, we're here mostly Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have special episodes for you. And the third Tuesday of every month is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. And we do some training topics on that Thursday. We've been doing it for a long time. Hi, Christy. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. I, I had a couple of people write in and say, how come it's all mixed up? Because they were new listeners. So I, I thought I better start explaining that on Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's a great idea. Yes, because, you know, we've been doing it for a long time. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, that doesn't mean that everybody's been listening for a long time. Well, and I love that we're getting so many new listeners. Welcome, all new listeners. From around the world. We appreciate you being here. Now, Christy, uh, we're going to find out from Jennifer what is coming up and what is the topic of today. Coming up on today's CHA episode, Glenn Petty is going to stop by as we begin our All Arabians for Everybody episode, and he's going to talk about why it's fun to belong to the Arabian Horse Association. And then next up, Jim Hitt talks about showing your Arabian in an enormous variety of disciplines available through that association. And finishing up, Nancy Harvey stops by, and she's going to talk about sharing horses and finding ways to show, even if you don't own your own. There you go. So stay tuned for the phrase, folks. Very good. You know, we have a lot of Arabian owners out there. I know that. Yes, and what I love about this day, too, is that, you know, there's so much versatility in the horse world anymore. People are not necessarily just wanting their horse to do one discipline. And I started with Arabians years ago, and boy, did I have to be versatile. I rode in so many different unique and fun classes. It was super. And, of course, they do a whole lot more than horse show, too. Arabians are one of your top ones for endurance riding, and they're pretty uh, athletic animals. Hey, they race them. They sure do. There is Arabian racing at the tracks, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think that the breed shows offer much more variety and more people compete in multiple disciplines in the breed shows than anything else, don't you think? I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah. 
because, because it's all in one place. Well. It's easier too, right? I mean, yes, yeah, absolutely. They don't have to go from thing to thing. It's all right there. Now, do you did when you were competing? What did you do with your Arabians? Were you competing which disciplines? Yeah, back then, you know, I actually um, never owned an Arabian, ironically enough. I was a youth rider, and I went to ride for a barn that basically wanted me to be their equitation rider. Um, a new trainer who's now a big name in the Arabian horse world, but back then she was brand new. And I was able to ride in uh, Western Horsemanship, as well as Hunter on the Flat and Hunter Eck over Fences. And also in really unique classes like um, Saddle Seat Equitation, and also Native Costume. And a bunch of things that are very specific to the Arabian, like that native costume. And then show hack. I mean, just all these different things that truly, I think, have made me not just a good rider, but a good horse person to be able to have conversations with all these people that we certify around the United States. You know, as the largest certifying body of instructors, boy, we get a lot of unique people to our clinics. And if they've ridden different breeds, it's really fun to be able to chat with them at least a little bit about some of the different classes. And that's mainly due to all the Arabians I rode back in the day. It's so funny when you say you used to ride uh, in Western, because uh, I don't put Ra- Arabians and Western even together. <laughs> My mind doesn't go there. Yeah, and they're so good at it, especially raining. They're so good at it because they're so well, light quick, and they yeah. just spin really well. And yeah, they they do really well in Western pleasure. Um, you can really do quite a bit of the Western disciplines. Um, Jim Hitt's going to be on later on today. He's one of our uh, trainers that's on that Jen talked about, and he absolutely loves all the working cow disciplines on his Arabian. He says that they can get very cowy. Huh. Well, that's interesting, too. Now, do you, um, when you, after Arabians, what'd you go to next? Um, you know, after that, <laughs> it was actually pretty funny. It was back in the 80s. I'm aging myself, but back in the 80s when the Arabian horses were really, 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 really spendy. Um, and I don't think people, younger people realize what the 80s were and Arabians were like. Yeah, it was it was an awesome time, actually. Um, there was these huge barns and there was these wonderful tax havens and other things that were going on back then. And so people had all these Arabians and they were... It was amazing. All the different I mean, lines. They, they were six to seven figures, period. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it and was crazy. Had, <laughs> and you still do have this, but the Polish, the Egyptian, the Russian, the Spanish, I mean, all these different types of bloodlines for them. And you could just go on and on and on. So my parents, not being the horse family, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to pay $5,000 for an unbroke yearling. I'm sorry. No. So I got a POA. Pony of the Americas as my first horse, <laughs> even though I've been riding Arabians for a really long time. From that's that a little name. ways away from an Arabian, <laughs> a little bit of a change, yeah. yes. And then uh, you know, and then I've had thoroughbreds and quarter horses. I'm kind of an all breed kind of gal, but I'll tell you, the Arabians really taught me a lot. Good breed. Yeah, we were we we knew. When we were in, back in the 1980s, we had started with the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, and there was a girl that worked there one year as a, as a cast member who had an Arabian farm close by. And it was, our, it was my first, because I had just met Jennifer, so it was my first experience into the Arabian world. And, you know, and then when she told her, talk, oh, this one, you know, this one I just sold for a quarter million, this one. And they were just two, three years old. It was absolutely nuts back then. <laughs> it was crazy. 
Well, that's why you liked my Facebook post the other day and even commented when we went to the Colorado Renaissance Fair. Now I know you guys were so involved. I had forgotten about that. Oh, yeah, that's why I was doing kings and queens and everything else. Yeah, that's right. Ten years worth of that. So did you uh, have fun at the Colorado Renaissance Fair? Oh, we love it. We try to go every year. The boys love it. My two boys are really into it. And my one son, he's 12. He dressed up in his dragon mask that he bought there last year with his wings and everything and kept getting tons of comments from all their cast members. So that's really fun. And did you eat a turkey leg? Of course. Of course. And a pork I think it's chop required. I think it's it is required. Yes. <laughs> you know, the best turkey legs ever were at the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, too. We can tie horses into this. Did you watch the joust? Do they have a joust? They did have a joust, yes. And it's kind of fun. They do three shows a day. So the first show is, um, oh, all the games, like getting the rings and doing all that. And then the second one, they start to um, battle. And then the final one is battle to the death. Now... We have seen many jousts at many Renaissance fairs across the country uh, because we've been to a lot of them and worked a few. So uh, some are some of the jousters are really good performers and some aren't. So where would you put this classification? And I think you know, you know what exactly what I'm talking about. I do. Well, I'll start with they all had long hair, which I really personally like. Oh, well, they're like, always good looking. Like. <laughs> yeah, oh, you have right. to have that. Yes, you have to have that. So that was good. And then I would say three quarters of them knew how to ride. So that was that was nice. <laughs> and I think overall, you know, they, they actually performed pretty well. The only problem was that their sound system was acting up. And my husband worked sound for our church. So he was complaining. The sound <laughs> system is bad. But, but other than that, I think they did a great job. Yeah, usually, I, I, some of them, what I talk about being really bad, in case people are wondering, is they'll hate each other, and what they do with their lances so they don't kill each other is they actually put balsa wood in the end, and balsa wood's very soft, so when it hits, it splinters and, you know, flies everywhere, and it, it's it's very effective looking, and uh, but then, you know, they get hit, and then, you know, 10 strides later, they fall off. <laughs> That's the bad ones. The good ones will get hit and immediately come off. Uh, because that is somewhat choreographed. Now, the hits aren't choreographed, but you know when you get hit in a certain spot, you're the one that's supposed to come off. That's uh, right. That's kind of the rule. And then they do the ground fighting. And some ground fighting's better than others. We've seen some really good ones over the years. Now, were they using drafts or other horses? No, mainly quarterstock. Were they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, mainly. And, you know, because I used to work at Medieval Times, I have to go ahead and put that plug in in Buena Park, California with oh, the castle I worked right. for. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. <laughs> We, um, I always go to these Renaissance fairs and nothing against people that are at Renaissance fairs, but a lot of the, um, young men that are the knights at Renaissance fairs, they lope, maybe yes. canter yes. their horses down the deal. Yes. And at medieval times, because they do the show every single day, 365 days a year, they dead run. Yep. So it's a very different energy level. You're like, oh, we're along for a lope as we're going to get each other with these. Oh, wait, now we're galloping. So it, it, it does depend definitely on where you are. But it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, really. Some groups are better than others. Some practice more, I think, is is part of it. But I forgot you were there. So you actually seen the guys who, uh, who do it have, have, do it pretty well. Yeah, I think almost for a living, the ones at Medieval Times. I mean, we had to work on Christmas, New Year's, Easter. I mean, there was never a day off. We worked all the time. We had a good group when we worked in Pennsylvania, too. They were pretty good. And they, they took some hits. Those guys <laughs> those guys were always getting hurt. So they were, they were taking some hits for sure. Uh, but that's fun. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you still enjoy going to that. Yes, it is very fun. And talk about versatility. Boy, there's, you know, that's some horses there that can do a bunch of different things when you're doing the medieval route. Yeah, they do the games earlier, too, which looks like fun. The rings the and, the, you know, the, 
all the different games they the knights do, and that's kind of fun too. But oh, cool! So there were no big Percherons, no big Clydes. No, no, not not this time. No, there was not. But boy, it's still a really fun show. And you know what's so neat is that um, Glenn, who's going to be on the show uh, right now, I believe yep. he actually lives right by the Renaissance Fair. So once I introduce him, I'll have to ask if he went or not. Oh, he's here because he's pretty close to it. Well, this is great. So Glenn who's um, going to be introduced now. He is the executive vice president of the Arabian Horse Association, and that's located actually here in Aurora, Colorado. He has over 40 years of equine industry experience, including over 30 as a show manager, 15 years as North Carolina state horse specialist, and many volunteer service years, such as being on the board for the United States Equestrian Federation and chair of their competition management committee. Glenn and his wife, Joan, own Triangle Farms, which is a professional hunter-jumper farm and show facility in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Welcome, Glenn, to the show. How are you today? Good to be with you. So excited to have you. So we were just, um, you know, Glenn and I kind of jump all around when we first chat in the morning, and we were chatting about the Colorado Renaissance Fair down there south of you in Larkspur. Are you and Joan going to go there at all this year, do you think? We're not going to be able to make it this year, but we have heard about it, but we've, we've never been. One year you'll have to go. Put it on your bucket list, Glenn. It's a pretty fun thing to do. We, we will. So, Glenn, how about if you explain to everyone how you got from uh, North Carolina to Aurora and how you actually still do a lot in both states? Uh, I... Um, as you said earlier, I was state horse specialist in North Carolina for a number of years. And then, uh, I ended up joining the North Carolina state fair and, and built the governor, um, Jim Hunt horse complex. And I worked with all breeds and then I retired actually in 1999 and I started managing major horse shows all over the U S and, um, one of my shows was the Region 12 Arabian Championship in Perry, Georgia. And I managed that show for about 10 years. And during that time, I got to know all the leadership of the Arabian Horse Association. And I was a delegate at the AHA convention um, one year, um, 2007. And um, I was approached by one of the officers um, at uh, AHA about considering um, joining AHA. And uh, I said, well, my wife will never move to Colorado. And he laughed and he said, so commute. (laughs) And I went home, talked to my wife. She said, if it's something that you would uh, like to do, go for it. So for two years, uh, I commuted back and forth from uh, North Carolina to Denver. And at that time, I could catch a 6.30 flight out of Raleigh-Durham and be in my office in Denver at 9 a.m. So uh, that worked pretty good. But um, it was through managing horse shows and getting getting to know AHA leadership that actually um, brought me to uh, Denver. And then what was so neat is that Joan actually decided that she kind of liked Colorado. So then y'all bought a house here. We did. And uh, 
Uh, we actually have a house in Raleigh and one uh, uh, in Parker, Colorado. And Joan runs our horse shows. We have 1,800 jumper shows, and she keeps them going all in North Carolina. In fact, she's flying there today. Well, I just think that's such a fascinating story. I love when you share that because, you know, the fact that you could be a telecommuting executive vice president for two years is pretty amazing. And the fact that you can still keep both places going. So good for you. I think that's wonderful. So, you know, today we're talking about the Arabian Glen and about versatility of horses in general. So let's go ahead, since you are the um, EVP for the breed association how can listeners that either have an arabian or a half arabian or are wanting to get more involved in the breed how can they become involved with aha well i think the the very first place to go is uh our website uh the website has everything virtually that you need to know about uh, either arabians or the arabian uh horse association because it has links and it takes you to all kinds of uh, uh, different places and being educational itself. The other thing that we're in the middle of right now is um, upgrading our computer systems and everything at AHA with something that we call Future State. And what that is intended to do is to eventually make it so all of our members and, and non-members can conduct business with AHA on the website. But from the website, you can, um, you know, you can join AHA. Uh, the Arabian Horse Association covers all of the U.S. and, and Canada. We have 18 regions uh, in the U.S. and Canada. And um, the um, it's not just for adults either. We have our Arabian Horse Youth Association that uh, youth can get involved uh, with the association through, um, and then um, uh, through the website you can learn all about events. We have over uh, 400 sanctioned um, events, shows, rides. Um, and where they are all over the country. And um, um, so it's, I would tell anyone to go to the website and just explore. Uh, we, we remodeled the website, actually rebuilt it uh, about three years ago. And now it's a very robust website and a fun place to explore Arabian horses. I would agree. And it's pretty easy to navigate. It doesn't make you irritated, which is nice. You know, some of these websites, you're like, oh, it's just so painful. And yours, now that you've redone it, is really good, Glenn. So what are some current programs that you're personally excited about, whether it's youth or recreational riders or show? Do you have any current programs that you'd like to share? Well, we've got several. And and uh, um, the they're, they're Programs that you do not have to go to a, a sanctioned show. You know, first and foremost, uh, we have about 400 sanctioned Arabian horse shows. But then there are programs like the frequent uh, rider program, where uh, you, for all these for the uh, participation and getting getting points, you have to be a base 
member of AHA. But the frequent rider program, um, you just enjoy your Arabian horse and uh, um, send in um, your or go online and record your uh, miles or um, and then the um, uh, OEIP, which is the open event incentive program that we offer. you can get points uh, for participation in uh, other events that are non-AHA sanctioned, like hunter-jumper shows, dressage, um, uh, that are you know organized activities like that. And then one of the things that the Arabian horse excel in in the world is distance riding. And there's the competitive distance program that uh, uh, riders can sign up for and um, get points. Well, and I love that you mentioned um, kind of the open show thing, too, that you can do that. I think that's really good. You know, we have many listeners today that ride all breeds and all disciplines. So from your standpoint of running a breed association, for those that are listening, no matter what breed they have, if let's say they don't show, so they don't have to join for that reason, or they don't breed their um, type of horse, what are some other benefits where you think they should still belong to their breed association? Well, I think one of the things that we we just instituted last year is we have redesigned our magazine and the Arabian Horse Life, and it is much more non-show uh, oriented. We still cover the shows, but there are lots of other uh, articles and, and all in it that uh, uh, the non-competing uh, person, uh, uh, owner, uh, would enjoy. And that magazine now is free uh, with your membership. And I agree. I think, you know, publications and those kinds of things are just so good. And I'm so glad that that's a member benefit for many of the breeds. I think that that's wonderful. So you had mentioned um, some upcoming events where listeners might be able to come and see Arabians and half Arabians, whether they own a horse or not. Um, what are some of your major events and shows that are coming up right now around the country where they could go and take a peek? Well, first, uh, I mentioned the website, and uh, you can go to the website and find local uh, competitions. Uh, But right now, uh, our national events, or the season is just starting. Our youth nationals is in Oklahoma City, uh, July the 22nd through the 29th. We have horses uh, that started moving in yesterday. And we'll fill about 1,500 stalls there. So for the um, folks in the Oklahoma area, and and I would encourage you to go there. And for the um, non-horse owners even, um, at all of our national events, we have something called the TAIL program. It's the total... um, Interact, Arabian Interactive Learning, and basically it's organized tours that take uh, uh, folks 
uh, adults, kids, uh, behind the scenes at our national events and visit farms and uh, just understand what goes on at a horse show and uh, sit in the stand, Simon, with a guide that explains what's going on. But uh, that's at all of our shows. And, and that's in July and August. We have the Canadian Nationals that are held in uh, Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. And in September, in Raleigh, North Carolina, we have our Sport Horse Nationals. Um, and that show rotates east and west uh, uh, each year. One year it'll be in the east. The next year uh, it'll be in the west. And next year that show will be in uh, Idaho. Um, and then, um, uh, in October is our U S nationals and that's the granddaddy of all of our, our shows. And, um, uh, but that is, uh, in, um, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then also in October, uh, we have our national distance and competitive and endurance ride. Uh, in Oriana, Idaho this year. That moves around the country every year. And I said granddaddy of shows. I, I would have to mention the Scottsdale show in, in uh, February. It is uh, a huge uh, Arabian show. And it, again, has lots of uh, educational programs. It's a, a huge spectator show. Um, that uh, I would encourage anyone to put on the calendar also. Glenn, I would agree. I um, My husband's very first horse show ever, and I love telling this story, was U.S. Arabian Nationals back when I was working for your all association. And he came down and he was in awe. He goes, oh my gosh, if all horse shows are like this, I'm going to start going to horse shows. But the reality was I was teaching at the time 4-H and so we were doing a lot of 4-H shows and 4-H shows are fine, but they're not quite U.S. Arabian National no, with know the what? green shavings and yeah, the symphony. Yeah, and the bar, ah. the bar is set up everywhere. There's not quite that at the 4-H shows either. Correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, very true. Did very he drink true. his way yeah, through the bar? The, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you go back in the barn to U.S. Nationals and they almost uh, uh, build houses at the ends it's of their stalls. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. And I love that, you know, spectators now can go the behind the scenes. I think that's a great program that you all have started. So, Glenn, thank you so much for being on the show today. We so appreciate you sharing about AHA and um, thank you again. Very good. I've enjoyed talking with you. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Okay. You know, he even spelled it right. Which is good. That's right. Yeah. He does spell his name right. I thought you would appreciate that. But I, I also did. thought, oh, this is going to be very confusing today that you're going to want to answer whatever I say. So, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I stayed out because every time you said that, I wanted the answer. It's like, right. It's like, you're okay, say, I'm well, just going to keep my I mouth never shut. I lived in North Carolina. I, I can't answer this question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when you first said his name a couple times, I was like, ah, ah, ah. And I was like, oh, well, wait a minute. She's not talking to me. We, you know, I don't know that. In all the years we've been doing this and the 6,000 guests, I think we've only ever had one Glenn as a oh, guest. So I love that. You're yeah. unique. That's right. All right. <laughs> well, we can dive right into your next guest if you want. Well, and I'm excited to introduce Jim. Um, I'm, I'm going to 
embarrass him just a little bit. So I told you I showed Arabians back at the start of the show, and he was one of those trainers and instructors that back in the day when I was a youth rider, I looked up to and I go, wow, he's cool. I want to be like him one day. So Jim, I'm aging you a little bit. Sorry, buddy. But Jim is a large (laughs) R Arabian judge. He's with regional and national level status, and he's also a big part of National Reigning Horse Association, too, as a judge. Well, it's not bad. You're only, what, 29, so... Glad I love you for that. I love you. Go ahead. (laughs) He's got memberships um, not only with Arabians, but also with NRHA and also with the Rain Cow Horse Association and also with um, USEF. So Jim owns and operates Gamble Oaks Equestrian Center, which is 30 minutes southeast of Denver near Parker and Elizabeth. He has been in business for over 20 years. He has big diversity seems to be the strength of what goes on at Gamble Oaks, which I am thrilled that we're going to talk more about that today because he has experience and success in the show ring, not only at the local and the national level, but in all these disciplines, Western pleasure, hunter pleasure, English and country English pleasure, reigning trail, reigned cow horse and working cow. So welcome, Jim, to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So how is everything going on down the road today in Parker, Colorado? It's going good. It's a nice, beautiful, beautiful morning out here sitting where hopefully my service stays good and watching some horses in the pasture eat their breakfast and stuff while I'm talking to you. So That's really good. So is there anything else besides what I just introduced you about that you would like to share with us, you know, back in the day or anything like that that you would like to share? (laughs) I don't know. It's been a you know, it's been a great road. I've enjoyed um, being a part of the horse industry for the number of years that I have. And um, it's been, you know, overall very good to me and and my family. And and we've been, you know, blessed to get up every day and do what we do for a living. We certainly could do other things where we'd make more money. But uh, um, I think one of the important things in life is sometimes to do something that you enjoy doing as well. And, and so feel very fortunate to be able to do that. And, and, uh, um, you know, I've had reasonable successes. I, I'm certainly not at the top end of any ladder, but I've been able to, you know, maintain, um, you know, a, a nice show string and stuff through the years. And, and I think one of the things for me that's been really important and it goes to a little bit of your, your past guest is, uh, I, I chose a number of years ago to um, be involved with associations and local clubs and different things like that. And, and um, I guess it was one of those things where I sat back years ago and especially at horse shows and different things thought that there could be some stuff that was, should be different or better and wanted to help. And I've always wanted to try to be part of the, the solution and not, you know, one of the people that just sat in the background and complained about how things were. I wanted to try to, you know, help make our industry better for, um, for everybody involved in it, not just myself. Well, and Jim, I think you're very humble because um, I think you are pretty high up the ladder, but I think that that's great because being humble means that we always educate ourselves and we always want to grow. But because you've been involved in so many aspects of it, what do you see as some trends in the um, horse showing world um, as it involves different disciplines? What are you seeing as some trends right now? Well, I think probably one of the biggest things that has happened, especially in the last 
mm, at least 10 years and maybe it's been a little bit longer is there's been a, um, at least a, I'll call it a flattening of, or a stabilization of the number of horses that are, and people that are showing in what I'm going to term as main ring classes are, our typical pleasure classes, whether they're Western or English, and, um, you know, sometimes it's the English is saddle seat as well as hunt seat and that type of deal. And, and while I always believe those classes are important and will, you know, stay strong for our industry, a, a lot of people have gravitated more to the, um, the disciplines or, and thus the classes that are more individual work. And certainly a lot of those are um, in the working Western type disciplines, the reining and the cow horse, um, the ranch, the newer class that's just taken off huge is ranch riding. Um, and even to an extent outside the, the working Western disciplines, the, the growth in um, equitation showmanship, especially among adults, I think just shows two trends. And I, I think, Again, one, it's that people are gravitating towards the individual work things versus the collective class type situations. And, and I think there's a lot of dynamics for why that is, but um, many of those classes, you get a score and, you know, you can go to a show and, you know, in your first times get 65, 66 on a reigning go and, you know, maybe feel good about that and stuff for your first times out. But, you know, you go back to two or three later and that score starts bumping up a little bit and, you know, you start being able to feel like you're making progress and, and you're in a way competing not only against others, but you're sort of competing against yourself. And, and uh, um, so I think that is, is certainly one of the, you know, the reasons why those classes have become, you know, and those disciplines have become more important. And I also think it's because people want to do more with their horses themselves in particular. Um, and historically, our, you know, our good pleasure horses and everything, they are horses that are in training, you know, 365 days a year with the trainer and the amateur may or may not go ride them a whole lot and stuff. And, and it's not quite as hands-on. And I think the individual participation level by an owner is generally um, quite a bit higher in those um, individual disciplines. And, and again, I'm going to include the, the showmanships and the, um, the equitation classes along with that. It takes, you know, takes a lot more hands-on practice to, to perfect those disciplines. So I, I think that's, you know, a lot of the reasons we're seeing um, growth in those areas in particular and a little bit of a stagnation in, in our main ring class numbers. Well, and Jim, I think your point is so well taken that with a score, they can improve, whereas the subjectivity of just, okay, I placed five out of six, why did I do that? Or, okay, I placed ninth out of 20. Why did I do that? Because they don't necessarily have to have any comments back from the judge on those kinds of classes. Whereas in your disciplines that you're talking about, like your dressage and reining and things like that, there is an individual score and sometimes even comment sheets that come back to you too. So then you have something to improve upon. So that whole education. So I love that concept. And I think you're absolutely right. 
Well, and, and, and you are correct about the score sheets. Almost all of those classes, you know, even if it's not a written comments type thing like you get in dressage, your, your score sheet really tells the story of your go, of, of, you know, kind of what took place with the penalties, you know, was a maneuver good, was it not good, you know, those type of things. So you, you are getting, you know, feedback um, most definitely. So um, that's, that is, I think, absolutely one of the reasons why, you know, people, people do gravitate towards those classes. So for the people that are listening right now, maybe they think, huh, this whole working Western thing sounds pretty fascinating with all the different types of classes. Like you said, the ranch horse is becoming a big deal now and things like that. What are some basic things that they really need to have their horse be able to do before they're ready to kind of go in the show pen and give it a try? Well, I think, it, you know, to a degree, it depends on, you know, which, which disciplines you're going to pursue. And, and, I mean, I may back up and hit something a little bit different as, as I answer that question too. Um, I think it depends on the level of, of where you're going to compete as to, um, you know, how, you know, obviously if, if you're competing at a high level in NRHA, you need a, you know, an extremely well-bred horse that's extremely athletic and, and well-trained and, and all that type of stuff. But you can also, you know, really enjoy, um, I'm going to call it the sport of reining, you know, with just a good solid horse that has a great foundation, um, that can do all of the maneuvers and, um, you know, go out and, and, and gain good experience and good mileage and, and, and a relationship with your horse, um, you know, and still do some of the local competitions and stuff with, with that level of horse. So, um, you know, we, we still certainly, I guess what I want to say is have, um, you know, a, a wide range of, you know, ability of horse and rider and, and such. And what I have seen along with what we're talking about is a desire to um, have more versatility for a horse. And what I mean by that is that, you know, instead of just having a horse that does reining, um, maybe that person does do the ranch riding as well. Maybe they do do the showmanship as well. Um, maybe they do the cow horse or the trail as well. And that's sort of been what has happened for me. Um, and, you know, for years, especially amongst the Arabian horses, we've always been touted as the, you know, the versatile horse. And yet, you know, we kind of started putting horses in a box and trying to, um, make them excel at one particular thing. And for a lot of my horses and my owners, I, I found that, uh, um, they enjoy the diversity of doing a few different disciplines. And although they may not be, you know, on the top end of, of any one or each of those disciplines, um, they can be competitive in, in three or four of them. And, and I have a few horses that, you know, they do the reining, they do the rain cow horse, they do the ranch riding and they do the trail. And, um, boy, it's a lot at some of these horse shows. Um, I heard Glenn Petty talking about the Scottsdale show and U S nationals and, you know, to take some of my horses right now to those shows and put them in all the classes that they've qualified to go in and are, are fairly good at it. It's, it's almost too much. We have to start picking and choosing, 
Um, but it's a great thing because my clients, you know, they feel like they're getting a lot more bang for their buck when they go down the road and, and their, I'm going to call it their pleasure and their enjoyment of their horses is that much more because of, of all the classes that they get to go into. Um, so I've kind of come to, you know, work on having a versatile horse again in the working Western, um, divisions and going back to your original question, I, I think the basic foundation that you put on a rainer, um, lots of flexibility, shoulders and hips being able to move, just, you know, a good, true, supple foundation um, on an athletic horse is probably the most important thing to me for, for doing any of those. And then, you know, the trail and that type of stuff, a lot of it's just, you know, it's just doing it and getting them, you know, as, as with anything with training horses, there's, you know, ton of repetition involved in it. I, I always say I have a very important job. I teach horses to go in circles and that's, we, we perfect circles every day and everything we do, I think, and stuff. So, um, hopefully that sort of answered your question in a roundabout way. No, definitely. And I, it's, it is true about that. You know, we do teach horses to go in circles. I have until, you know, I have, um, some people that I teach to, and I say, you know, in the wild, horses don't just go around in circles a whole lot. They tend to go more in straight lines. So we have a really important job as horse trainers and riding instructors as teaching you to go in circles properly because you're going to be doing that a lot in horse show land. So it is where it's it's very different, but there's so much to it, all the different disciplines. And I think it's what's so fun about the concept that you're talking about, Jim, is the minute a horse or a rider starts getting bored of something, and you know how that can be. They start anticipating Absolutely. the movement. They start just getting sour in the arena. They start just not wanting to do their job anymore, and the ear pinning and the tail swishing and all that. And now all of a sudden you've got, oh, well, today we're going to do trail. Oh, today we're going to play with cows. Oh, today we're going to go do some raining. And I think that that just makes the arena horse, the horse that lives in the arena more than going down the trail, just amazing. And then for those that do show that also want to go down and actually go out on the trail every now and then, that's great too. So I love this diversity that you're talking about today. Well, and I think, you know, for for us, that's sort of how we actually got into doing more trail was, you know, we wanted to do something a little different with our rainers for, you know, little mind work and mind break. And, and that's, that's kind of how we went to, to the, to the trail. And I think that the ranch riding right now is really, um, filling a good place for a lot of horses in that aspect. And, um, people may not realize it, but the ranch riding is certainly held at, um, you know, a lot of horse shows just, you know, really big in the stock breeds growing in the other breeds, very rapidly. I think I, my personal opinion is that's probably the fastest growing class out there right now. Um, but you can go to an NRHA show right now and they will have ranch riding classes as well. And so the rainers are beginning to recognize the value of, of having that class to kind of go out and help that horse to just what you said, not anticipate um, you know, another lead change in the center of the arena or, you know, another rundown that we're going to stop at the end, you know, all of a sudden they're, you know, doing an extended lope down kind of one side of the arena and they're collected back up to the lope instead of, you know, put into the ground to stop. So, um, you know, there, that stuff I think is, is really important for our horses' minds and, and, and creating more longevity in our show horses because we, we aren't, um, just, you know, 
obviously, you know, the physical attributes of, of keeping one sound for, for years is very important, but the, the mental aspect of keeping one, you know, fresh and happy and, and wanting to go in the show pen is, is just as important. And so, um, you know, doing some of these different classes, you know, I believe, at least for me and my horses, is, has really been a plus for um, just attitudes and, and uh, you know, again, I'm going to call it not only horses, but people as well. I agree. I know, you know, we've all had jobs as people that you become like a robot and it's very factory work, mechanical in your mind and you just don't like it and you're just dreading going to work. And what do they say? If you do something every day that you're passionate about, it never feels like you're working. So if you have a job that's very diverse and one day you're doing this and the next day you're doing that, right, you're going to be happier. So with our horses, I think the same thing. The more diversity we give them, it's not work anymore. It now becomes, oh, I get to go and hang out with my human and we get to go do something good. And so I think that that idea is so good, no matter what we do with our horses. So Jim, um, do you, do you have like a fun story for us? You know, you've been doing this for so long, not only as a judge, (laughs) but also as a trainer and you can obviously not say names to protect the innocent, but some sort of a fun story to share with us. Oh, um, I guess I've got a couple just little things that are, are meant to be more encouraging for people to, uh, um, you know, get out there and try some of this stuff. Uh, um, you know, the, I think one of the intimidating things about, um, the working Western type classes is that they generally are a pattern type of a class. And especially for, um, I'll, I'll be kind and say some of our more mature exhibitors that, uh, are, are getting into it and stuff. It, it can be very intimidating to, um, to learn the patterns and they're, they're really not that hard once you kind of get into it. But for some reason, um, you know, staying on pattern becomes a big deal. And, um, I had a guy that rode with us for a while and stuff. Sometimes he took lessons. Sometimes he had a horse in training, but, um, when he first started reining, he became very passionate about it. And, and I want to tell you that it was the ninth horse show that he went to that he finally got a score where he stayed on a pattern for a reining pattern. And it became a big deal to all of us to stand on the rail and try to root him on and stuff to, to get a score. And, and I think he scored like a 59 or a 60 or whatever, but he stayed on pattern and, you know, it was a big, huge deal. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's just a, process. And, and for him, he always said, you know, it's more about the journey than it is the destination. And I always tried to tell him, you know, that's great. I'm all for having that journey be an important thing. But if you don't have your eye on that destination a little bit, you know, you kind of sometimes the problem the is when we get to our, to, too. <laughs> yeah, the problem is when we get to our age, we forget the destination by the time we, we're halfway through the journey. So that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's exactly true. But, just get you know, like, uh, okay. Again, I wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you know, it, it is intimidating, I guess at first. And, and, uh, um, my mother's 78 years old and, and she's still showing trail a little bit and stuff. And, and, you know, she worries more about the staying on the pattern than, than anything. And, and, you know, what we all we all mess up. We all go off pattern. That's, that's part of the game. I always tell people that a, a good reining trainer from the area told me a long time ago, uh, you know, a, a rainer never has a bad go. They were, they either had a good go, um, 
or they were schooling. And so when you go off pattern, you're just schooling. You just have to have the right attitude about it and stuff. And, and it's, it's just kind of part of the game and, and, and part of the miles. And, and, uh, um, I have another gal that rides with me that she's actually from a ranch in, in Northeastern Wyoming. And, um, she really didn't show a lot until her later years and mostly did trail. And, and when she started doing the raining, you know, kind of the same deal with, with patterns as being really hard, but, um, just for her, because she'd go out there and just kind of blank out a little bit. And, um, for those that know some of the rating patterns, pattern five, you, you do some circles and you do your circles and spins in the beginning, and then you run a figure eight and then you kind of go do your stops. And there was three horse shows in a row where she ended up pattern five being one of the patterns that was given. And every time she would forget the figure eights in between and she, you know, be done and have this big old smile on her face. Like she did great and announced her to announce zero. And she, you know, just kind of melt in the saddle and, you know, it, it happens to everybody. And it just, it just is, it's part of the game. And like, say my, my reasoning for telling that is, you know, I, I don't, I'd rather see people out there trying and, and willing to have a little bit of humility and, and, and fail on the pattern stuff, but, but be enjoying doing what they're doing and having fun with their horse. And, and, and I think it's, um, you know, it's no different than somebody playing Sudoku or something else. Those mind exercises are, are great for all of us as we get a little bit older and, you know, learning patterns is just another mind exercise. So that's, Jim, I so like agree I don't with know if you. Those are exactly fun, but they're encouraging. That's right. <laughs> they are encouraging. Well, Jim, where can our <laughs> listeners find you? What's your uh, website address? It, um, it is uh, um, www.gambleoaksequestriancenter.com. Um, and uh, um, we, I have to admit, I'm not a big social media person. My wife is on Facebook, but I am not. So things you know, things certainly get to us and all, but that's, um, I, I've just, I've just chosen to, with all the things I've involved with, that, that's one less thing of time that I put on. I'm, I'm on emails and do enough different things with association work and different stuff, but, uh, um, all, we always welcome people and, and always enjoy having people stop by and visit or whatever the case is. So, um, certainly, certainly try to be accessible. Well, thank you, Jim, so much for being on the show today and sharing your thoughts. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Very good. Well, we're going to take a break here for our song of the day, and then we're coming back with another guest. What do we have coming up? This is exciting. Nancy Harvey, um, she's in California, so we're going to get out of Colorado and go further west. And she's the current volunteer president of the Arabian Horse Association. And um, I've known her again for a really long time. And she is she has an amazing story, Glenn, that I cannot wait for her to share with you because it involves driving. Oh, good. Yeah, radians do great driving, actually. They do. Yeah. Uh, And uh, last weekend was Briarfest. Have you ever been to Briarfest? I have not, and I need to go. I've never been. That's an experience (laughs) that everybody should experience once. And it's always interesting because Briarfest at the Kentucky Horse Park happens at the same time or immediately before Pony Club Nationals or 
you know, that's when they all, the thousands of pony clubbers descend. So you have thousands of teenage girls who descend upon Briarfest who aren't necessarily riders or have anything to do with ponies except briars. And then you have the serious pony girls that descend, and sometimes they happen at the same time. Let me tell you, that's a lot of screaming and giggling all at the horse park at the same time. But, but I thought, in honor of Briarfest, the reason we met Templeton Thompson like nine years, ten years ago now, is through Briarfest when uh, they had when she wrote the song "Girls and Horses," and they had her come to Briarfest and sing "Girls and Horses" on her horse, on her horse Jane. And I thought we'd play "Girls and Horses" today, so we'll do that, and then we'll be right back with more show. Just a minute. <laughs> She talks about them, dreams about them, thinks about them all the time. She's got to have them, be lost without them. You can see it in her eyes. What is it? What is it with girls and horses? She says, now when I was a young girl, they were my whole world, they were my one safe place, now that I'm older, still lean on their shoulders, I still feel like that girl some days, what is it, what is it with girls?
That's Girls and Horses. Of course, Templeton Thompson. You can find all of her music at templetonthompson.com. She also has, she's doing some touring and playing some gigs now around the South mostly. So if you're in Tennessee or Kentucky or down in that area, please do check her website and you can go see her live. I've seen her a couple times play and concerts and it's a lot of fun. Well, you are listening to Horses in the Morning. This is the Certified Horsemanship Association episode that we do on the third Tuesday of every month. And I wanted to remind everybody that tomorrow, Lisa Waisaki will be here filling in. I think you know Lisa. She'll be here filling in and helping us out on tomorrow's show because Jamie's in Hawaii on the beach. Ah! I've been seeing pictures on the beach. Yes. So she's in Hawaii. She'll be back on Friday. And then Thursday is the NATRC will be joining us for a little trail riding talk. So we have a full week of shows for you yet this week. Uh, Take a listen to the Stable Scoop show this week. We do have a special announcement for you. Things are going to be changing over there a little bit. Uh, So if you're a Stable Scoop fan, uh, please do take a listen to this week's episode coming up later in the week. All right, Christy, I think we are, well, I think Jennifer is getting our guest ready, actually. So tell us the national convention is when. Yes, we are going to have our 50th anniversary celebration in October this year at the Horse Park and the Marriott Griffin Gate Hotel in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's going to be from Thursday, October 26th until Sunday, the 29th. And anyone is invited to come. Um, It is not just for our members. It's very much open to anyone. And you get to ride. It's not a hotel-based conference. You get to ride horses that are being brought over from Midway University, which we're thrilled to have them and their students bring their horses over for us to be able to ride on with the different um, instructors we have. And one of the most exciting things about this year is something we've never done before, and that is have our Horses in the Morning show on Thursday, October 26th, live. I just checked the calendar to make sure I had put it on the calendar. I do have it on my calendar, so we're good. We're good. good. You know what? One of those nights, we're going to do a meetup, because every place we go, we do a meetup uh, with the listeners. And is Julie going to be there? Julie Goodnight? Julie will. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she was just busting my chops on a video the other day. So, um... So we're going to have to drag Julie along. We're going to have to make her go to the meetup. Oh, yes, for sure. I would love that. Yeah, it would be super fun for you guys to do something like that. I'll tell you, probably one of the best nights to do it, if you want to do it in the evening, is on that Friday. Because in between what we do at the horse park and the hotel-based dessert thing we have going on, we do have a couple hours free. Oh, good. Yeah, we have a restaurant that we always use over at Midway. Uh, they have a back room they save for us every time we come. So it works out perfectly, and the food's good, and we, we get our own room. So that works out great. Uh, well, we'll definitely work something out so that uh, the listeners or anybody that are listeners that are in the uh, Lexington area or have come in for the conference, either one, even if you haven't come in for the conference, you can come to the meetup. We, we always do that. We're going to be doing a tour of Texas here in September as well, and our tour. We're going to be making our way around Texas to visit with listeners and also hosts. So we're going to be publishing that and doing some meetups along the way in Texas. Uh, so that'll be happening the third week of September. So we I'm have, so glad you're driving around and doing these things, Glenn. That's just awesome. Well, it's fun. I mean, it's fun for us just to meet the listeners, right? I mean, that's that's the best time. And you know, for and and also the Texas one is going to be a steak and barbecue tour. So we're planning on doing that every day, and then going to the hospital immediately after at the end of the week. We'll just pull into the ER. 
So <laughs> that's our <All> goal. Right. <laughs> well, you know what? After you're done in Texas and you come home and eat a lot of salad and you balance yourself out and you're fine. Yeah, but that never happens. So that's the problem. <laughs> All right, Nancy's ready. <laughs> awesome. Well, I am so happy to introduce Nancy Harvey. She lives in Sierra Madre, California, and is the current president of the Arabian Horse Association. So she is also, though, her day job, she runs her own company. And with this company, she does technical support and web, web development. And also, though, she provides services in the horse industry, such as show management, show secretary, steward. She's also a judge with um, USEF, Arabians, Andalusians, and Frisians. She also does course design and ring coordinator. But you know what's best of all, Glenn, out of everything? And I left it to the end of her introduction. Right. Wait a minute. How does she have time for anything else? (laughs) (laughs) I know. But she drives her horses, Glenn. That's the best part of all. She's a driver. I love that. Just like you. That's right. So, Nancy, Nancy? what what kind of driving do you do? Hi, good morning. I got to start with driving. I'm going to butt in here. What kind of driving do you do? Uh, Right now, I do carriage driving. Yep, but I mean, do you compete? Do you do uh, singles, pairs, unicorns? Singles. Singles. Singles? Oh, God, no unicorns. Oh, no, I'm not that good. (laughs) I always wanted to try that. No tandem, no unicorns. (laughs) I'm not that good. (laughs) Um, I always wanted to try that. I, I haven't done it yet. I've done fours and I've done pairs, but I haven't tried the unicorn yet. We did the um, we did a tandem with a driver and a rider. Once oh, that'd be fun! On, and yeah, but basically the person riding the horse just followed the driving horse. Right. They didn't really. She just went wherever she wanted to go, and they for, he followed her on his horse. For those that are going, what's a tandem? Can you explain it? A uh, tandem is a horse in front of another horse. Yep. So it was originally designed to bring horses to a hunt and the horse in front is not the horse that's pulling and so they'll put a saddle on the horse in front and drive it to the hunt then ride the front horse and then drive them both home and the trick behind that is you got two horses in a row so they're not beside each other and usually when they're beside each other they're kind of connected with the harnesses um so they they kind of go as a pair even if they're not supposed to go a certain direction they're going as a pair um but with 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 that setup, it's kind of, you're you're controlling them both. I mean, they're one's leading the other. <laughs> it's, uh, it yep. can get and, interesting at and times. A pair, a pair tends to keep each other calm, right? And tent, yeah, one in front of the other, not so much. Yeah. So okay, you know, so I have a question. I don't yeah. know what unicorn is. Oops, go ahead and explain unicorn that. Unicorn is a pair closer to the carriage and a, and one horse out front. So it looks kind of like. If you look down on it from from above, it would look like a Christmas tree. One Got it. Wow. Now, Gloria Austin drives... Really I don't know if you've seen pictures of Gloria Austin's... Uh, she drives her beautiful Spanish PREs, but she has actually played with and successfully driven a diamond, which is one, oh. two, and one. And that's an interesting ooh. configuration. <laughs> that's just... Ooh, boy, that... Ooh, <laughs> that'd be tough. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'll go with my, my single. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> my one little single. <laughs> you know what? With my hackney pony, he has this habit of wanting to bite other horses on the butt because he has this inferiority complex because he's like 12 hands, 12 and a half hands. So if he was ever behind, if he was ever in the second spot pulling the carriage, he'd be biting the first one the whole time. It would not go well. Uh, <laughs> no, and I think mine would do the same thing, although I think because she's only fourteen one. 
and she has a small horse complex. So I think she probably, those two probably shouldn't get together. I assume an Arab, right? She is a purebred, yep. Yeah, you know what? two purebred Arabians and one half. We put your purebred Arabian with my purebred hackney pony, and we got a nightmare. <laughs> That's what we have there. Yeah, we do. <laughs> what color is your hackney? He's uh, he's just typical brownish color, you know, just uh, cute as a dick, and so he's really, really cute. She's chestnut, four white socks, so we'd be pretty in our... Oh, yeah, our white socks. Pain and suffering. Yeah, we'd be yeah. pretty, yeah, as we're going every direction but the way we want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and the two are arguing out front. Yes. No, we're going this way. Exactly. No, we're going this way. Yes. <laughs> All right. Kind of what she does right now. Sorry, Christy. No, I love. So this I, is what I, happens I, when I drivers so get together. The minute I found out Nancy could be on the show, I'm like, oh boy, I'm not even going to get to interview at all. This will be fine. I'll get to rest. All right. Now I have one other question. Do you guys have any carriage clubs out there? Do you get to go on any pleasure drives? Um, we have one up in the middle of California, and then there's a big um, driving contingent in Northern California. Yeah, um, there is. Yeah. The person actually that broke the mayor that I'm working on driving now um, lives up north by um, Clements area, and she she drives. She can go to a drive, oh, boy, every month maybe, every other month. So it's way better up there than it is down here. There's not a lot of driving down here. And, and as of late, I haven't had a lot of time to drive. <laughs> yeah, you're a little busy. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. So, Nancy, how is it going being the Arabian Horse Association president? How is that going? It's going well. Um, we are working on some new ideas to um, push and promote the younger generation. Um, I've developed a committee that was the first thing I did was develop a committee of 19-year-olds to 40-year-olds to figure out how we're not communicating with them correctly and how we could do it better. Um, in fact, I spent most of the winter going, how old are you? And if you were over 40, then I didn't want to talk to you. I'd say, nice to see you. Bye-bye. But if you're under 40, I was writing your name down because we really are missing that middle group. We have the 55 and over um, which are pretty committed to writing. Um, but the 19 to 40s, after they finish their youth career or even after they finish high school, they, um, they move on and we don't always get them back. And we want to keep them during that time. Uh, we've got a lot of people that are aging out in the part of the uh, horse industry that is the backbone. And so we need to find new people and welcome them. So what are some of your ideas to be able to attract these new people? Do you have some plans? Well, we haven't gotten those yet. We're still doing our research. Oh, I love <laughs> um, that. Okay. One of them I have, and she's not a young person, and she's not under the age of 40, but I did talk to her. Um, I met a lady about a year ago that was at a trail ride, and she said, I ride every Monday, and she was quite good, actually, for somebody that had only ridden for six months. But I said, well, how did you get involved? And she said, well, that was the hardest call I made. And I said, really? We're fairly friendly. And she says, yes, but you horse people talk a different language than what I'm used to. And so just approaching someone, a horse trainer or a, um, someone in the horse business was difficult for her. So she recommended, and I'm also recommending and hoping that we can pursue this, is going to the people as opposed to asking the people to come to us. We we do a lot of equine affairs and um, little 
horse fairs and events where we expect people to come to see us, we need to go to them and and shift our focus on we're so great, come see us. We want to say you're so great, we want you. Yeah, I agree with that so much. And I'll tell you, that's why that Time to Ride program that American Horse Council does is doing that. There's people actually taking their horses to farmers markets. There's people taking their horses to schools. There's that kind of stuff happening. And, you know, the teachers love getting out of the classroom. I'll tell you right now, those of you listening, if you have a pony or a calm breed of whatever your horse is and you want to take it to a school, they'll let you do it. They they want to get out of that classroom and have those kids have an interactive experience. So. Those are some good ideas. That's exactly right. And we need to celebrate the people that are, are doing the day-to-day, what the hunter-jumper people used to call up-down lessons, where the academy horses, the if you could get somebody riding once a week from now until forever, you have an advocate for the horse, and you also have an advocate for your program, and you also have a way to keep that lesson horse. And so it's it's tough because you're out having to sell your product and previously we've been always the one that they come to as opposed to having to sell a product. So, um, so it's a shift. It's a big shift. Yeah. It's it's a smart shift though. You know, that's what, um, karate does and all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, more and more of our members through certified horsemanship, since that's all we do is teach beginners primarily, um, are starting to do just that. They're starting to really kind of copy almost like karate and taekwondo and things like this and say, all right, it's a monthly cost. And if you don't show up for your riding lesson, then that's too bad. It's a monthly cost, just like your karate or your taekwondo. And then it gets into the parents' budget is, oh, this is how much it costs a month that I have to be there every Saturday at 10. Got it. Oh, we're on vacation. I don't get reimbursed for that. Got it. And then the poor instructor doesn't have to sit there and try to reschedule that. So these kinds of right. thoughts are just so smart. So I'm going to jump over and just go right into your idea of horse sharing. I find this fascinating. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I actually share one of my horses. Um, I have a the perfect gelding, no matter what anybody says. He's the perfect gelding. Um, he, I have people leasing him or part-time riding him. So he's, he's a dressage horse. Um, he is not a carriage horse. We tried to teach him to drive. Glenn, but it didn't work, and he broke the cart. <laughs> oh, so there you go. <laughs> he decided he does. Yeah, he, well, he broke the, the training cart, and he would have been a cool driving horse. His mother was a driving horse, but no, he said no. Um, so he is kind of a schoolmaster kind of horse, but he's mine. I still own him. I ride him whenever I really want to. But I've got people that are, are taking lessons on him. And I would move that further if they were interested and have been interested to half lease him. Um, and then they can ride him three days a week and I can ride him three days a week, which fits in the budget and the time schedule. And I think this is an opportunity for people that um, can't quite afford, especially in California, it's quite expensive to keep horses. It is a way for those that own the horse to be able to keep the horse and others to kind of get into having a horse for a time length. Um, I leased him, half leased him to a young lady who's now at um, Davis and she just wanted to ride through her high school career. And so she leased him for one year. And then I've got another young lady that may lease him also for the same kind of reason that she wants to ride something that's, that's broke, but they don't want to buy anything right now. Um, And I mean, everybody that owns a horse, it's not the purchase price, it's the upkeep. But the upkeep can help if you have a share. 
Um, now this gets into some rule changing in our division about horses, two owners on a horse to show. Um, but I think that that's further down the road. <laughs> I think we need to learn how to, how to just share them. So. I think that's such that's a good idea, idea because I think a lot of our horses, Nancy, don't even get enough work and they sit around a lot. And, you know, I'm sorry, I work eight hours a day. I'm not advocating go ride your horse eight hours a day, but I think the horse can work one or two hours a day, five or six days a week and have a day off or two days off, you know, that, that kind of thing. So this idea of horse sharing is great, especially when you have them, like you said, under the tutelage of an instructor, then you know that they're being worked in the same way that you would like them to be worked in. And I think it's a great idea. Yep. And then I, I don't, I'm with him, I'm trail riding again because of the new job. Um, I'm doing more trail riding. So he gets to trail ride with me and then he works with somebody else. And, and it's perfect for me because he keeps, um, going in his training and he's teaching new people. And that I think is, is the best part is that he's keeping people involved and teaching new people, um, how to ride and, and just, he's the sweetest little thing. So he's not that little, but he's the sweetest thing. And so he's a great ambassador for, Oh, this is a nice horse. It's a nice breed. And so, and it's fun. So he does a couple of jobs. He just doesn't know it. If he knew it, he'd he'd want more, he'd want more carrots for me. If he knew how hard he's working. (laughs) He'd want to raise. (laughs) Yes. He'd want to raise for being an ambassador. (laughs) So, um, I didn't know. Driving or all the other disciplines that you um, compete in, Nancy. Well, now I'm I'm I've been driving for a while and I love it. And Glenn, you asked me what I what kind of driving. If I could find a combined driving event, I'd be there in thirty seconds. But we stopped to train her to do that um, completely. That's yeah, they're my few and far goal. between. Do, That's the problem. Oh yeah. yeah, That's exactly right. And and. So I'm, I, once I get a truck and a trailer all organized, I'll be on the road. Well, anyway, um, I used to show English with, I, I had an English horse and that's kind of like driving a Porsche in the car world. And now I, I ride dressage and sport horse stuff. Um, I haven't jumped in years and I, we were talking about taking one of my horses to a, um, kind of an iron horse thing where they jump and they drive and they go under saddle and I went back to jumping and low jumping was really scary again so I think I'm off my jumping now um and then I've not been heavily into the western discipline other than some course designing but it's I think one of the disciplines that I would love to try um with the perfect gelding is uh, western dressage at some point and I think he'd love that because it's a different <clears throat> different way to to balance and and something new and unique for him. So so we I've ridden in almost every discipline, I guess. Yeah. Well, and what I love about that, you know, we've been talking about on the show today with Jim and um, also Glenn a little bit. It's in regards to versatility, and of course, the Arabian's always been touted as a very versatile horse. But I think more and more breeds are starting to want to not necessarily just ride one thing that their owners are like, no, I want this horse to be able to do more than one thing. And I think that the fact that you've tried so many different things is super. And for those listening, you know, the minute you think you're really good at something, just go change your discipline and you'll go, oh, well, hmm, I don't know much about horses at all. And it just makes you a more well-rounded horse person. I thought, yeah, I, I was riding down the street 
on what Saturday morning, and I said to myself, I do this a lot, I say self, um, I started doing the math, and I've been writing for 40-some years, and I thought, and you don't know much. <laughs> if you put me on a Western horse, I wouldn't know how to write it that well. I'd, I'd be able to sit on it and do some things, but I wouldn't know its cues. And a few years ago, I wrote an Olympic-level or a Pan Am game dressage horse, and he wanted to kill me. Because I didn't know any of his cues, and he thought I was the dumbest person ever put on a horse. And I said, well, I don't know what, how to ask you for anything. And he said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's amazing how, how different we are, and, and I think some of the specialization needs to, to go away to some extent so people can do many things with their horse and the versatility can come back. Um, but I also think at certain levels – Specialization is required, but at the lower um, entry level and the level we're pushing to expand, versatility is is where it's at. You you can you don't like this? Let's try that. And do you like that? Well, don't like that? Let's try this. And then people can figure out what what they want to do because the horses aren't in our everyday lives anymore, so they're not used to being seen or part or being part of people's lives. So it's more exploratory for new people than it used to be in like a hundred years ago. I agree. And if you think about it, but in the big old scheme of things, that wasn't very long ago. And we've really changed from horses being, you know, um, commercially used like the Amish and some folks still do to truly recreational only and truly hobby only, except for those that race horses and some of those kinds of things. But so you're right, getting them out there and getting them seen by people. I was loving it. We were talking to Glenn Petty earlier on today about how now at the Arabian shows, a spectator can come and can go back in the barns and meet the trainers and see all of that kind of stuff in action. I'll tell you, when when you go back into the show barn and you see the sanding of the hooves and they get out the belt sander and they sand the hooves and you see just kind of all the cool stuff that goes on to prepare all the braiding and the hours it takes to braid a horse and all those things, I think that that really gives you kind of an excitement for it. So I love that there's going to be more of those kinds of things going on where the person that maybe never wants to own a horse can still play, can still do yep. things like that. I think it's great. Yep. We have to learn how to flip the the person from, we, we have, a, and he probably called it um, tail, which is total Arabian interactive learning, um, where they come to horse shows or any event and you, they meet a tail horse, they meet a um, a friendly horse or a friendly barn that takes them through and, and they learn about the farrier, they learn about horse showing, they learn about all of those things. We need to go to the next step and, and push out and say, okay, now that you've met the horse, do you want to put this in your budget and take a lesson once a month and then maybe push it to once every two weeks and then push it to once every month or once a, once a week, sorry, went the wrong way. Um, and and not necessarily. I think we we as an industry have always pushed for horse ownership. Um, I think we need to push for horse participation as opposed to horse ownership. And mm-hmm. if I get that nice lady once a week having you know having her glass of wine after she rides with all her friends, she's hooked because horse people are nice people and we're we're friendly. We're very fun to have around. We are. I agree. <laughs> So this is the time of the show, Nancy, where I love to ask my guests of some sort of a fun story uh, that you would like to share. And so what story would you like to share with us today? 
So do we want the endurance native costume rose parade or do we want the carriage driving? We oh, no, make definitely the driving one because you got Glenn. <laughs> definitely the driving one. There's not even a choice okay. here. Well, um, I've been in the rose parade because I live near Pasadena. I've been in the rose parade probably six times, oh, wow. six or seven times, something like that. And once I rode with, <clears throat> I didn't tell Christy this part, uh, we rode with um, Zsa Zsa Gabor the year that oh, really? he was the cop. <laughs> yes. And and we got booed. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got, because they were, uh, you know, it, it, the local Californians kind of booed her. And so that was that was an, an an event, but it paled by comparison to the wonderful chestnut horse that I do not own. Um, she always told me I owned the back half of him because he was a kicker. Um, we took this horse to the rose parade. We took him to a prep some prep parades as well, and he was fine. But um, I'm not sure if you know how the rose parade works. It's it's very. Oh yeah, we've aren't covered it. Organized. We cover it every year. And okay, you're out there on the highway for hours, just <laughs> the night before. Yeah. It's just a lot of yes. waiting. Yes, he was wonderful for that. He was great for that. Um, but when they feed, they put the floats on Orange Grove, and then they feed the bands in off of one street, and they feed the horses in off of another street. And they fed us in, and we were fine. And we were a, what we called a versatility group, which was, we had a carriage driver, we had a native costume, we had a hunter person, we had all sorts of different things that the Arabian can do. And I had a very large, very, um, I'm not sure what the word to call him, um, chestnut gilding, half Arabian, that was in my carriage. And he was just a tad big for my carriage, not huge, but he was just a tad big, so he was close to the box, which is what you sit in. And it's an antique. It's an 1890 carriage. Um, I call it a carriage because I paid good money for it. I it's see what's coming, actually too. actually a cart <laughs> because it's only two wheels, but I call it a carriage because I played, paid good money for it. Um, so we get fit, fed in, and our header, the lead header, was working with all the horses in the back, and pretty soon, I will not use his name, um, decided he didn't like the band that was in front of him, which was the, the Salvation Army band and their tambourines. And when he gets mad or scared, he doesn't, well, when he gets scared, he, he gets mad. So he started lifting our headers off the ground while they were trying to keep him calm. And then he just started kicking at the carriage. And I'm going, hmm, this isn't good. This is not good. There are very, people very close here, very bad. Bad, bad. And so the header from behind said, you all good? And we all three of us said, nope, not good. No, not good. And he, so he came running up and he wasn't exactly sure what to do because at that point, you're on Orange Grove. There's nowhere to go unless you go past a float or go past the killer band. And so we just started weaving him because every time he stopped, he'd start kicking. And I had to have a very large, very pretty iron step um, on the right side. He always kicked with the right. So I'm thinking he's going to kick that step and, and break a leg. So we, I just kept saying, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. We either go straight down Orange Grove or we get out of here. Well, the guy that starts this parade spends years becoming the parade starter. And that parade starts every, I think, eight seconds and it's on time. And so we go up and I sent the header up and I said, you need to tell him we got to get out. And the guy looked at me and he looked at the header. He says, you're not leaving. You're going. 
So we went. So we went down the parade route and terrifying children for five miles. No, <laughs> no, he was perfect. He, he was. was perfect from Green Street to just past Camera Corner. He was perfect. And I'm waving, and I, because I was the marshal, I had my phone on my seat, and I'm getting these massive texts. Oh, he looks great. Oh, he's better than last year. Oh, this is because I'd driven a different horse the year before. Oh, he's so beautiful. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm going, Happy New Year. You are a dead horse. Happy New Year. You are in so much trouble. Happy New Year. And I think there's a picture of me saying you're in trouble or something. So we turn on Orange or on Colorado and we start down the hill and and in my infinite wisdom inside my brain I go we're good we are good we can do this because we can keep going we're good and and the horse said no I don't think so and he he kicked with both legs and he hit the box and I said that's it we're a YouTube video we're gonna be all over the internet <laughs> you know the horse that killed small children and yeah I said we got to get out we have got to get out of this parade. And so we ran up and told the appropriate people. And the only place we could get out was a location where they had one of the big trucks to tow the floats um, when they break down. So they had to back that up. And I just kept saying, I can't stop. If, he, if I keep him going, he'll probably not kick. <laughs> but I can't stop. If, he, if I stop, he'll start kicking. And, and so I can't stop. So we get out. And we get on our own, on our own little parade. And as we're going down, you know, there's a couple of streets you you should go down. And I went down the wrong one, so I went down a one-way street going the wrong way. So then I moved over, and we ended up with a cop in front of us, a cop behind us, a horse trailer, and a white suitor on a scooter, which is the parade representative. And the horse trailer is in case he does something stupid. And so every light they would block off because I said I can't stop. I can't stop. Well, this is when I really lost it with him, and I didn't yell at him. I just laughed because we got to a fire station, and the fire truck comes out, and the guy, the fireman, puts his hand out, the driver puts his hand out for me to stop. And I'm <laughs> looking at him, and I'm going, I can't stop. This horse, I can't stop. So I stopped. He's like, you have to stop. You don't, you, you, you can't go. I have to go to a fire. Hello? So I stopped, and and. The horse, I almost said his name, um, the horse stopped and rested a leg. I said, oh, that's it, buddy. That's it. You're out of my will. Hard horse. Done. Yes. So then we, we ended up going to the end of the route by ourselves, and one, one person that I know was driving down the road. He was a vet. He was driving to the parade to you know, do vet things. And he looks, and he says, are they lost? And then he realized, oh, no, they got removed. So <laughs> they go out. There you go. They had to go out, and he went in the next year. He went in the next year. He went in under saddle, and he was perfect, and he was fine. They let him back? Yes. Go figure. They're usually pretty picky about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and and he was not in the cart. They were very nice about it. They they, they, They called me and said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I said, him, not so much. And she goes, no, is he all right? And I said, no, he's fine. Everything is fine. He just, once he got out, he was no longer scared, so he wasn't aggressive, and which is a weird response instead of running. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I just love that story. Glad I had to have her share it. Well, you so, know what? I'd rather have him doing that than bolting. That's the bad. That's when it gets really bad. That's when it goes south yeah. quick. Yeah. Yes. I think we lucked out. I mean, we... 
we lucked out on Orange Grove because we didn't wait that long, and and we got out quick, and and <laughs> I think I aged like ten years, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. So, Nancy, where do people find you if they want to know more about Arabian Horse Association and what have you? What is the best way to track you down? My email address is um, nancy.harvey at arabianhorses.org. It's also on our website, um, arabianhorses.org. And under leadership, it'll have my name at the top. Isn't that a concept? Um, And... They're welcome to email me there. I re- I respond to emails probably best, and we would love to encourage people to participate with horses, and most specifically Arabian and half Arabian horses and Anglo Arabian horses, the versatile breed. Thank you, Nancy, so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I have so enjoyed it. Thanks, Nancy. It's nice to meet now you. Go Glenn. for a drive. I will. I'm going today. All right. There you go. (laughs) Thanks, Nancy. (laughs) Take care. You know, uh, she said something, Jennifer wrote here, why don't, wait, an Iron Man for horses. Why don't they have like an American Ninja Warrior for horses? Uh, And your rider does half the events, and then you do half the events with your horse. Glenn, you and I should start that and make a mint. We would, like a pentathlon, only, you know, half the events include horses. So you do an obstacle course, you do different things, right? Um, But then the other half are the rider, because so many riders are really into the mudders now and the extreme races. Yes. It's a really good idea. I agree. I think that's super fun. Now, I don't want to compete in it, but we can organize it. (laughs) I know. I think that's correct. We could do all of those, all the above. Yeah, we can cheer people on. <laughs> no, I'm, it will be I'm a spectator sport. There you go. Yeah, it that's a spectator, a spectator sport. sport. We could yes. come up with some fun new things for them to do with the horses and then, you know, to do it themselves. I'm only thinking about that because we've been watching, you know, uh, all of the different shows on TV right now with them all doing the extreme sports. So uh, that's why I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's a fun thing to watch for sure. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. There's something else you guys can start at the CHA. See, more versatility. That's right. It's versatility, all right. <laughs> I think you should start it at the uh at the annual meeting in in October and you can you can lead the way. You could be the one that shows them the course. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're not signing up, are great. you? All right. What's the website? All right, everyone come to us, CHA.horse or chainstructors.com. You can find us either way. And anyone can come to our conference. You can sign up for a clinic to get certified. You can buy one of our manuals or view one of our webinars. Lots of education for you. So come one, come all. And of course, you can find the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com or on our app, iOS or Android. Download it. It's free and easy to use. It's probably the best way to listen to all 14 of the shows that we now have on the Horse Radio Network. Uh, Don't forget to check out the newest one, Heels Down Happy Hour. It's now on the app and also on iTunes and all the places that you listen normally. We also don't mention this very often, but we have a master feed for the Horse Radio Network. So if you listen to more than one show, you can just go search on your podcast player for Horse Radio Network and you'll find the master feed. Every episode that we put out is all on one feed. So you don't have to have separate ones if you'd rather do it that way. We have a lot of people that do that as well. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. 
Lisa Waisaki, the author, will be here with a lot of fun guests lined up, and we will see you then. And we made it real easy now, too. If you go to Horses in the Morning and click on the CHA banner right on the homepage, it's going to take you to a page that's all about uh, the CHA and the past, the past episodes as well. So that's something that was added as we redesigned Horses in the Morning's website. Thank you very much, Christy. Thank you, Glenn. Until next time. Bye-bye. Go out and start lifting weights. Get ready. That's right. I'm ready. I am ready.